For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The writer to the Hebrews has just finished talking about Jesus' deity, that he is equal to God in every way. Now here in chapter 2, it's time to explain why God became a man and why that doesn't make him inferior in any way. Now let's join Pastor Ross in a message entitled, The Word Made Flesh. All righty, let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 5 where we left off. An amazing Christmas text. We weren't looking for one because we're going straight through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but this is the verse and the text you go to to explain what Christmas is all about. So, you know, you got to hand it to the Lord. He is one wonderful multitasker. Amen. He could line that all up. And so let's ask his blessing as we consider Jesus, God, becoming a human being to save the world. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes up. Lord, just meeting you is more than a religion. It's a personal encounter with the living God, and we just pray that that would happen, Lord, in our hearts as we uh, combine what we're hearing with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So if you've ever felt like living the Christian life it's just too hard and too challenging. Maybe the old life and the world's way really wasn't so bad after all. Well, then the book of Hebrews is especially for you. You will find it very helpful. Now, there was a whole congregation back in the first century that kind of felt exactly like that. In fact, some of them were losing the battle and they were Uh, walking away. They were abandoning their faith. Uh, uh, There was a whole congregation of Messianic Jews. Uh, Messianic Jew is a title that we give to somebody who's ethnically Jewish but receives Christ as their Lord. So we call them a Messianic Jew. I think biblically you only have one kind of Christian and it's just a a blood-bought sinner becomes a Christian, Uh, but in some regards, to make things clear, if a Hebrew person becomes a Christian, uh, you just let people know by saying they're they're Messianic Jews, they've received their Messiah. And so there was a group of them, you know, who were romanticizing about the good old days, because being a Christian was really hard. I mean, they had it tough. They They were alienated from their own families, as many Christians have to go through. But their Jewish families, of course, is what was uh, in question there. And they were persecuted for their Christian faith by the Roman world. And so, and, you know, there, were, there was a false teaching going on that said that if we worshipped angels, you know, I, they would bring comfort. And so many people worshipped angels that it was less of a reason to be persecuted for. Everybody did it, and so it wasn't like you were calling Christ the king and the only king. You could worship angels and be a religious, spiritual person and fit in to the Roman world. And so these are some of the things that they were considering and doing. They kind of took their foot off the accelerator, you know? And if you do that, you know, you stop the throttle at a boat, uh, you begin to drift. And so they were drifting away from the Christian faith, and more importantly, Jesus Christ, who the author has already called God in a human body, the one who shed his blood for the sins of the world. And so what he's saying is you've stopped paying attention to what you've heard. What, what they had heard was John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, you guys have you stopped paying attention. You're drifting away from that. The only place to go from the name above all names, which is Jesus' title in the Bible, 
There's only one place you can go from the name above all names, and that would be down. And he's saying to them, listen, Moshe, Moses in Hebrew, is a great man, but he didn't create the universe. Uh, King David, awesome, exalted human king, but he is not the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will break open the skies and appear in every eye shall see him. You can't relate in that way. And as glorious and spectacular and powerful as any angel might be, no angel incarnated himself in a human womb to become one of us, to shed his blood in payment of our sins to bring us back to God. So quit talking to Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel and start focusing on the son who was God. And, and made a way for our sins to be purified and forgiven. In short, let me sum up 13 chapters of Hebrews in one little saying. Jesus is superior to anything in the rearview mirror. That's 13 chapters right there. Okay. I mean, even if it means you come to Christ, it doesn't matter if your family thinks you're Meshugana. Meshugana is a Yiddish word. Yiddish is a Europeanized Hebrew. And so my father spoke Yiddish. My father used to say, you're Meshugana. And I honestly thought, and he said a lot of other words too. <laughs> and I honestly thought my dad was making stuff up. We were not raised in a community of Jews. So when I was older and out of the house, I heard somebody say, he's Meshugana. I'm like, you know my dad. <laughs> That's like, how do, you, how do you know my dad? And so it's like, I don't know your dad. I, I said, what you said, Meshugana? Where'd you get that word from? He goes, it's Yiddish. I went, oh, my dad was speaking Yiddish. And there's all kinds of words, you know, Meshuka. It just sounds like a made-up name, Meshuka's family, you know? And so, so now it all became clear, and I'm sure you're all happy for me right now. <laughs> I get it. I do little bunny trails. We have a name for what that is. It's called the bunny trail. So what's the writer? What's the pastor? Pastor speaking. And Hebrews, the 13 chapters, that, my friends, it's a sermon. It's a sermon slash letter saying, are you kidding me? You're going to leave God in a human body who provided for your sins by bleeding to death for you and rising again to give you new life. You're going to go backwards? He says, uh, don't even think about that. So now here we are in chapter two. Now, he's just spent chapter one saying, Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. Now he's gonna say, Jesus was a man, Jesus was a man, Jesus was a man, because he's both. He's not 50-50. He's 100%, 100%, 100% flesh and blood. He came from a woman. He was born into the world. But what did the Christmas angels say? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. Because Mary's like, uh, that's impossible. I, I'm open. But that's pretty. How, how is that going to happen? The Holy Spirit, who is God, is going to come through one of your eggs. He's going to unite. God is going to unite with an egg, a human egg. And out will come the Son of the Most High God. 100% flesh and blood, just like you, Mary, Mama Mary, just like you, but 100% like his father, God, in a human body. So Christmas is all about. Well, what he's going to say now is, okay, Jesus is human, Jesus is human, Jesus is human. Not only is that okay, and it does not make him less inferior, but it was necessary because there was a problem, and he came to fix the problem. Verse 5. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and I'll tell you that someone was David, and that place is Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, 
God left nothing that is not subject to him yet. At present, we do not see everything subject to him. So we're going to walk through these next couple paragraphs. And if you're taking notes, a lot of you are. Number one would be called Paradise Lost, the Great Forfeiture. In the beginning, God uh, really honored man, but something went terribly wrong. And God had to come and fix that problem. And that's the reason we have Christmas. So let's take the first verse there. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. What does he mean by that? Let me paraphrase that. These folks are enamored with the angels, so he never misses the opportunity to put angels in their right place. And so he's really saying, now the future world we're talking about will not be controlled by angels. Wow, that's something to think about. Hate to burst your angel-worshiping bubbles, But in the real world, the world that matters, the world that's coming, thy kingdom come, when that prayer is answered and Christ is on a visible throne and everything's the way it should have been to begin with, that's the world that matters. This is the the temporary false world of shadows and darkness and brokenness. But what we're talking about that's coming in that world, the angels aren't the ones administrating, it's us and Christ, Christ and us. Let me prove that to you. Revelation chapter three. To him who overcomes, and if you're wondering who that might be, first John tells us everyone born of God, every born again, truly born again Christian who's opened their heart has the Holy Spirit come in, connect them to God. They will overcome, period. To him who overcomes, all born-again people, I will give the right to sit with me, that's Christ, the heir of all things who created all things, God, on my throne, just as I've overcome and sat down on my Father, God the Father's throne. He's not saying, Come on up here and see the view. You know, sit here, you got cute little guys. Come on up here. He's not saying sit on my lap. He's not saying any of that. That's saying you're going to rule with me. You're going to have authority. You're going to be royal kings and queens of a world that is coming, the real world. And so what he's saying really, um, there's, there's, another, there's another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This was just an aside. Paul's not talking about it. He just throws it in as an aside of what we will become. We're made little lower than the angels now, not for long. Then we're exalted over them. And I think that's part of the reason why God let the whole thing happen. Because we end up a hundred times better than God's original design. In the original design, we are not the bride of Christ. We are not co-heirs. We do not sit on the throne with Jesus right there, ruling with his power and his mind and his authority. But because of the fix, we become that much better. That's always God taking a tragedy and saying, you know what, you meant it for evil, guess what? Now look, now look who's the bosses in heaven. Whoa. (laughs) And thank God no sin nature's allowed. So it'll be a bossing of righteousness. And that's the kind of bossing around that I'm all for. Uh, All right. If any of you has a dispute with another, so the Corinthians are suing each other, you know, you broke my chariot wheel, you know, whatever. I'm taking you to court, Christians. Paul says, are you kidding me? Are you guys really going? You're litigating against each other? Why can't you just talk to one another? Take it before the saints just means separated ones, God's people. Don't you realize that God's people will judge the world? Okay, here we go. (laughs) Who judges the world? God and us. Why? We're seated with him on his throne. He wants administrative help when he judges the world. When he's sitting on the great white throne, we're on thrones helping him out. And then he goes further and he says, come on. If you're going to judge the world, can't you figure out how to get along together? Don't you realize that you're going to judge angels? 
Wow, that's all caps wow to me. Now, the fallen angels apparently are going to be sentenced for their crimes. And apparently, in the afterlife, in hell, there are levels. There are uh, degrees of punishment. And because they are, their crimes are going to be laid out and open, and someone is going to be sitting on a throne going, I see that you're responsible for this, this, and this. And guess who that person is? You. So he says, get your minds off of the angels because God has got such a different plan and it's a plan that will blow your mind. So here's what happened. Let's get the original scripture back up there. And he, and he says, listen, uh, David in Psalm 8 is saying, well, who are we that you would make us like angels, like beings, and then give us charge of the lesser creation, like that dominion? That, that is wonderful. I mean, in Genesis chapter 1 and 26 through 28, let me tell you what David was reflecting on. He's going, wow, can you believe? Let us make man in our image, and shout out to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one name, Baptizing them in the name, singular, of, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, make man in our image. Let them rule over the fish, the birds, the air, the livestock, the whole earth. It's theirs. So God creates us, male and female, and then he says to us, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. All right? We had dominion. David's like, wow, that's crazy. That's wonderful. Well, here's what dominion meant. All right, love this quote. Being given dominion by God of the earth wasn't like God was saying, you guys feed the fish and trim the hedges. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Dominion, biblically, has the idea of a royal commissioning to administrate a kingdom to run the world in divine order, in splendor and glory, and the goodness of God. In other words, the Lord was saying, make this place heaven on earth and that we had God's blessing and grace and power to carry that out completely. Now, verse eight of, yeah, verse eight. Verse eight says, clearly, we do not see that happening. Oh, it's such a vague little thing, like, Yet at present, we don't see everything. We don't see it happening. What went wrong? God God gave it. Look around you. It certainly is not happening. The fall of man, the problem, the reason why we need uh, Jesus to come and save us. And so clearly that's not the case. And if you want to find out why that's not the case, Genesis chapter 3, there was the devil there was deception, there were lies, there were accusations against God, and there was disobedience and death and sin and uh, all chaos that followed. That's what happened. That's what we see at present. Yeah, we don't see everything subjugated to him at all. And so Lucifer really took dominion that was given to man, and he said, listen, I'm a little upset that you guys are going to be like the royal administrators of this vast kingdom. I would like that. I tried to get the one upstairs. That failed. You know, I like this one. So why not throw in your lot with me? Defect over to this side, man. Luke, I am your father. You know, <laughs> Adam, yeah, whatever. I think some of you got that, you know. Listen to this, another quote, but it's a good one. The beautiful garden that responded with just a touch, now after the fall, no longer is tameable by man. Thorns and thistles abound. The animals once peacefully submitted will become wild, eating one another and eating us when given the opportunity. The ordered universe and planet will now become unordered. The planet will shake and open up and swallow people. Volcanoes will spew forth fire and rivers and floods will sweep people away and destroy houses and the works of their hands. The storms will pound and wreak havoc. And man, talk about man, they will kill 
and murder and steal and lie and cheat and destroy one another. Man can't even govern his own thoughts and feelings and behavior, let alone rule a world gone wild. Clearly, someone else has dominion. Somebody else is in charge. And who might that be? Well, let me remind you of the, one of the great temptations that fallen angel Lucifer who used our little bit lower status to strong arm from us the authority to be God's rulers. Let me remind you, when he dukes it out with the second Adam, who is Jesus, let me remind you what he said. I have it for you. The devil leads him up to a high place, and he says to him, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to God the Son, I'll give you all their authority, the dominion of the earth and the splendor, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you just bypass this whole cross thing and just worship me, you don't have to go to no cross. Just worship me, and I'll give dominion over to you. It is written. Well, like that's going to happen. And Jesus says, uh, let me, I got a scripture that comes to mind here. Worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Please, when somebody says, look around you at the world. Oh, there's a loving God. Dude, listen. God is orchestrating. He's above but he has given dominion to the one who stole it from us, and he's running the show. The whole world is under the dominion. Who gave him? Listen to what he tells Jesus. The dominion's been given to me. Who gave it to him? We did. Oh, come on, you guys. God's keeping something from you. Did he say you can't even eat from one of the trees? No, stop confusing me. He's, no, he gave us all the trees, but, but the one in the middle, he said, yeah, oh, you know what? Hey, he's keeping something good from you. Doesn't it look good? It'll make you smart. You know what? He just wants you to be kept in your little place. He knows the day that you eat it, you're going to be like him. And we can't have two gods around. Come on, take a bite. You're not going to die. You're going to be like him. Come on, you know you want to. You ever heard that line? Every, he couldn't say everybody's doing it because there were not, not everybody's doing it yet. Not yet. And she did. And he usurped it. You know what usurp means? to take the place of someone in a position of power illegally. He took it. Wow. So God put us in charge. Clearly, that's not the case, Pastor is saying. The devil made his move, but God made a counter move. And here's what God said to him, to his enemy, straight there. Dust is just settling from the fall. And he looks at the devil, and he says, <laughs> I want to rematch. It'll have to be another man. I'll make another man. And we're going to do this thing again. You know, you go in and you can tempt him to eat. And he does. You can tempt him and do your thing and we'll see who's going to win. But I'll tell you what. Here's how he's going to come. I'm going to go through a woman's womb. I am going to fill a human egg myself without the help of any man. And then that man, her son, her child, her child that was born, her son that was given, he will grow up. You're going to wound him. You're going to have a little rematch. You're going to represent all of God's people. He, he will represent all of God's people. You will wound him in the fight, but he will crush your head. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> now... The devil being the object of any crushing is the only time that it's a pretty good idea to clap. 
you know? It's kind of like, you don't normally hear applause when you said someone's head is gonna be crushed, but in that case, I think it would be a good thing. <laughs> Amen. And so, here's what F.F. F. Bruce says, and we go on. He says, when one person fails in the accomplishment of God's purposes, God raises up another to take his place. He continues, love this, but who could take the place of Adam? What man can wrestle back the dominion and lead us sons into glory, pay the penalty that was ours, and usher in a new world order where mankind and the earth are restored to God's original design? What man could ever do that? Verse 9, but we see Jesus. I love this verse. Who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he's the Lord. But he, was, he had to, for 33 years, come under the angels as a human being, because for 33 years he had an assignment. He had a suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for all humans. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their, perf their salvation perfect through suffering. People who deny the deity of Christ love to go here and say, I thought your God was perfect. I thought Jesus was perfect. If he's perfect, how could he be making perfect? God had never suffered. God had never suffered as a sin offering. God had, Jesus Christ had to become completed and, and suffered in a perfected way as a sin offering from a child. Grow up, he suffered in a completed way, and that's all that verse means. Going on, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family, so Jesus is, this is important. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So he's now gonna make a case, he's gonna use three Old Testament scriptures to make a case that Jesus is related to us as a human being. He's our brother. So here comes three quick ones from the Old Testament. I will declare your name to my brothers. He's putting that in Jesus' mouth, even though it's a psalm. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him, quoting from one of the prophets. And again, he says, here I am, speaking, he's attributing this line to Jesus. Here I am, and the children God has given me. And so let's talk about that. Number two, the reason for the season, or paradise restored. It had to be a man. A man lost the battle. A man lost the right. Uh, a man had to come and restore things. And so you see in verses 9 and 10, you see bringing many sons to glory. The two reasons for Christmas. Bringing sons to glory means taking rebels, lost, connected to the first Adam, dead, condemned, gonna die the second death, taking them and transforming them into sons of God and daughters of God and leading them <clears throat> into the presence of Almighty God. Sons of glory, citizens of heaven. That's why he came. He had to come under the angels, be a human being, because he had a job to do. He had to redeem fallen man, and he had to be related to them as their brother, right? And the second thing is, is to taste death for everyone. So not only is he going to bring us to heaven and restore us to our rightful place of dominion with Christ, he has to deal with the consequences incurred by our transgressions. He has to fix that. And so that's the job for Jesus to do and why he came to save us. Let me give you an Old Testament picture of what's going on here with Adam number one, Adam, and Adam number two, the son of man, Jesus Christ. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, something that a lot of people miss, Goliath is called a champion. Goliath comes out to represent the bad guys. The word champion in the Hebrew, ba-na-im, means in-between man or middleman. So here's what would go on 
And it's a very cool concept of what's going on with Jesus and the devil and this whole thing. Goliath says, hey, send out your champion, here I am. So Goliath will represent all the Philistines. Send out a guy to represent all of Israel, all of God's people. And let us meet and duke it out. Whoever wins, wins. And the win is attributed to the people connected to that champion. So if Goliath won, his people win. If David wins, Israel wins. But it's all based on two people, the in-between ones. David is related to Jesus, 28 grandchild children later. Mary is related to David. And out of Mary's womb comes a son of David, who's going to be the new Banaim, the new champion that will represent God's people. And now let's have a rematch. And the devil is the Goliath who says, if I win, you're all mine. If Jesus wins, everyone belonging to Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins, Gabriel says. You're gonna be his people. But if you're his people and you're connected to this Banaim, this champion who's representing God's people, his win is your win. Just like when Adam fell, his loss was your loss and you weren't even involved. A lot of people say, I wasn't there, I didn't ask for this. Why am I condemned for his sin? You were in him and you prove that you were in him when you sinned. So God said, let them all be born. Let them all be born. They did not have a choice, but we're gonna give them a choice. You can choose to stick with the first Adam where you had no choice. You died in the loins of Adam and Eve. We were in them. They died spiritually. We were born, the firstborn murdered his brother, Cain, and everybody else. We were all stillborn. But he says, not if I send another Adam. And if you're in and connected by faith, to the second man, you will inherit what he wins. If he's a winner, then you're gonna be a winner. And uh, let me prove this to you. First Corinthians 15. The theology of the first and second Adam. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. Let's just stop there. He's saying the first Adam was alive, the second Adam makes alive. That's his job. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So if you're only connected to the first guy and you never get born again, you're stuck with the Adam, Adam's sin nature, the, the, the desire to cross the line, the, the consequences of death that comes from what Adam and you have done. Or you can jump ship. You can defect to a different man who can represent all of man because he is connected to us as our human family brother, Jesus Christ. And then you'll be like him. You'll walk like him. You'll talk like him. Well, it's a process. You'll think like him. And you'll inherit what is his the consequences of his obedience will be yours instead of the consequences of the first Adam's disobedience as yours. So the question, my friend, is never, have I been good enough to get to heaven? It's, have you been made alive? Did you get connected to the right guy? The right guy is the second man, Jesus Christ, who said in John 6, I have come down from heaven. That is God through Mary's womb that says, okay, devil, let's start. Let's start. Come on, throw your best punch. 
Uh, I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Turn these nice-looking rocks. Don't they remind you of your mama's home-baked bread? Come on. Turn the rocks to bread. Eat. Take it and eat. Oh, we're back in the garden, but we've got a champion there. And he says, I'm representing my people. And you know what? Deuteronomy 8, 6, get out. Instead of, <laughs> instead of eating, he's resisting. Listen, you guys remember the Adams family? You want to get out of that family. Da 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 dum. 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 You know, they're creepy and they're spooky. They're what, all together? Kooky, right? And really kind of ooky, yeah. It all rhymes with spooky. You're good. Now listen, here's what's going to blow you away. Here's why the three kind of wordy, Old Testament, kind of confusing um, passages are quoted in this as, long story short, he says, he stands in the congregation and says, here I am with the children. And he is therefore not, I'm quoting, not ashamed to call them his brothers. Here's what he did. Someone's got to pay for Uncle Fester's crimes. God, not even God, will violate his own decree of justice. He's not going to wink and say, okay, Uncle Fester, you in. Come on. Who's going to pay for Uncle Fester's crimes? Uncle Fester's not going anywhere except to that noose. And rightfully so. It's right over his head anyway. <laughs> They're all going. He says, not if the Bana'im can come through and take his human place in the portrait. We could Photoshop in there the Son of God. The Son of God was a man like us who identified with them, who said, I'm not ashamed to be called their big brother because I've got a job to do. I'm going to lay down my life and pay all their bill on the cross at Calvary so that any one of them now has a choice. You want to stay in the Adams family or do you want to come into my family? I'm called the new Adam. I give you a new way of thinking, a new heart, a new mind, a new destination. But it's up to you but I'll give you the option. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever, you got a choice here. You can stay seated there with the noose above your head or you can jump ship, man, jump ship. Go to the new man. The new man is way better. Verses 14 and 15, do you have that, David? Yeah. Oh, good, good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can you leave them? Yeah. Oh, you can't do both? Nice. <laughs> Since the children, and here's the reason he had to be human. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, God, had to share in their humanity to become one of us so that by dying, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Here's the deal. They have a debt. If you want to pay somebody's debt, you have to pay in the currency in which it was incurred. 
1,000 yen and you offer 500 rupees, I'm sorry, you know, I want 1,000 yen. If you want $10,000, you know, I, I don't want your used motorcycle. I want $10,000, right? I mean, if you owe a favor, the favor coming back better be exactly up to stuff to be that favor, right? What did we owe that God wants to pay? Death, but not just death. <laughs> Having a heart attack, my friend, or getting run over by a truck is the easy part. That's the easy part. God speaks of a second death. First death is separation from body. Second death is separation from God, the source of life. That's called perishing. That's what he came to fix. But what does, he have? what does he need to fix it? The wages of sin is death. So you don't owe $1,000. You owe the stopping of your human heart. Well, that's something God didn't have. How am I going to pay for them? I'll become one of them. So he gets a face so that the spit could land where it deserved to land. He gets a beard so it can be plucked out. He says, I need a back. I'm going to need a back so that it can be born to the lashers. I'm going to need a brow to crown me with what a sinner would deserve. Here you go. Liar, cheater, stealer, embezzler, luster, sexually immoral. Did I miss anything that we all have done? Here's your crown. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to go on my son. Put it on me, Father. And the, the reason he had to be perfectly God is because he, he had to have no sin. A guy would say, oh, I'm going to pay for his sins. You got sins of your own? Oh, yeah, plenty. Then you're, you're disqualified. What are you going to say? Some man is going to pay for you when he's bankrupt? He's bankrupt. Oh, I'm going to bail him out. Well, you're going to have to offer something that you have to give, which is a perfect sinless life, you could forfeit that in place of another man. So he has to have a heart. He has to have lungs that have to gasp for air and then stop. But more importantly, he has to have a soul so it can sense God's displeasure and hear the words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He needed a soul so that he could experience what a sinner needs to experience, and that is to be severed from the fellowship of the living God. He said, put that on me. Put that on me. Do you see now why the pastor to the Hebrews is saying, where are you going to find this anywhere else? You're going to turn away from that? How shall you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? God, in a body, your sin substitute, put all your sins on, past, present, and future on his shoulders, and then took it. And then says, just trust me, and it's done. Now, the verse goes on to say, uh, oh, oh, it's right there. He destroys the power of the devil. How does that happen at the cross? Well, easy. Well, the wages of sin is death. The only reason for judgment is sin. And if sin is taken away for and paid in full, then there's no reason for death. You stand condemned because of sins. So I stand before God. I'm a sinner, right? If my sins have been justly taken off of me, there's no reason to die. There's no judgment. He can't say anything to me. Well, I remember one time, nothing, not one crime, not one bad attitude, not one bad sin, not one profane word. Nothing, because it all went away. But it just didn't vaporize. It went somewhere. And Jesus, anticipating that it would land on him, sweat drops of blood in the garden waiting for it to happen, before it even got put on him. 
And then from his lips, he says, Father God, if you know of any other way we could win these guys back, if you know one other way, could you please put it into purpose and to establish that way? So now we know there was no other way. The justice of God demanded that that sin be paid for. And he said, Jesus said, here I am in the midst of God's children. (laughs) Put it on me. Put it on me. Now, what does the devil say? He's lost his power. He's the accuser, right? Send him to hell. Here's what he did. Oh, really? Actually, we can't try him because he's already been acquitted in Christ. He's in the second Adam. That's called double jeopardy. Double jeopardy protects you, sir and ma'am, of being tried for, this, for something you've been acquitted for. In other words, Jesus said, Taleo from the cross, which means it's paid. Paid. Done. Everything you've done, ever done, will do. Paid. It can never be used against you again. So when the devil says, hey, he, she, they cheated. They lied. Uh, Actually, that was paid for. Next, you got something else? Well, we'll remember the time. Hmm, Paid for. Oh, paid for. Gone. What? No, I don't even remember that. Yeah, nothing. This one's clean because this one paid. And then we got Jesus saying, dad to the father, he's ours. I'm his older brother. And I got the payment, the payment here, right here. Check this out. Maybe open up the side a little bit. Payment, paid in full, paid in full. The devil's, he has no power. But even more than that, and I hope you, under, you get this, it's not that now you don't, you, you don't have to be afraid of dying. That's not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is that you can not be so afraid of living in this life because the next life is what matters most. So in other words, you understand, don't try to make it all happen here. You're allowed now to not be afraid of what's coming because what's coming, catch this, is a transition. Death comes like a little butler or a servant saying, okay, let's go to the real world now. And you go to the real world where you'll be aptly rewarded for your faithful service to the Lord. And so that's the fear he lifts. Like, I gotta get it all done now. And I, and I got to be perfect and have the perfect body and have the perfect ira and have the perfect everything. And some of those things are okay to do. But he lifts you from that fear that all there is is this life. And then you die and it's over. That's the concept. Not that you're just afraid of this moment that's ticking up and hanging over everybody's head, which, by the way, it is. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> So I say Merry Christmas. Uh, uh, there's one last part. Let's just read it, and I'll make a couple comments. And, and here we go with the angels again. He says, surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest. The high priest is this, this job. God in one hand, sinner in the other, bringing them together, all right? So he's merciful, Jesus is faithful, he brings us together, he's God the Son, our priest, and that he might make atonement, covering for the sins of the people because he he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This is my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Here's what it's saying. When you need help, you're not going to the force, some impersonable force out there. Somebody always talking about the universe. You know, may the universe guide you. The universe doesn't know me, doesn't know what it's like to be me, can't relate. He's saying, listen, he became one of us to take the intimidation out of approaching God away, to say, look at me. You're going to look into two eyeballs like you have eyeballs, you know? I have a nose, I have a mouth, I have hands. You know why? 
Because I was like you. I'm your older brother. You had an older brother you didn't even know about looking out for you, little sis and little brother. I feel you. I know what it's like to grow up in a dysfunctional family. I know what it's like when dad dies and food's got to be on the table. And I'm the only son, the oldest son, I should say, and the only son. I know what it's like when a friend betrays you. I know what it's like when people think you're crazy. Mark chapter 3, his brothers and mother come to the house and say, we need to take control of Jesus. He's lost his mind. Poor misguided Messiah. He says, I know what it's like to have some friend at the table playing the game, dipping the bread and saying, oh, praise the Lord. And then got a dagger for the second for 30 pieces of silver. I know what it means to feel. I know the feeling of being a human being, working with people who don't appreciate your carpentry, (laughs) who who don't want to pay their bill. I know what it's like to pay taxes Did you ever stop to think, and somebody share this with me, that Jesus ends up in Bethlehem and born because of a census, because everybody owed. A census of the world, it's time for everyone to pay. And that's a signal for the payer to come into the world. He knows, listen, He knows the weakness. It says he suffered when he was tempted. Knows what it's like. Insulted him. One time they said, we're not illegitimate children like you are. Your mother. We know about your mother. He says, I I know, I know. You're feeling like you're at the table. Everybody else is on the other side. Nobody understands you. Nobody gets you. They make stuff up about you. Listen, I know, not because I'm God, but because I I experienced it, I lived it, and I want you to make it. I'm on your side, and I feel that. I have compassion for you. I put my arm around you, not as this mystical force out there, but as another human being, your brother, your brother, (laughs) You're a brother. You got a brother. Who's running the world? Your father. Who's walking you in the meantime from changing you from rebel, a hell-bound rebel to a heaven-bound son and daughter of glory? Who's got you in between? And that, by the way, is the third point. I never told you that. (laughs) The help in between is a faithful priest who's got your back because he's your brother and he loves you and he's been there and he's going to make sure you get there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for truths that just transcend our understanding. That's an amazing love, the love of God. We'll spend forever trying to figure it out. We thank you now, Lord, for these truths that set our hearts free and make us just wonder and just Love you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.